Just want to welcome you here. If this is your first time, my name is Ronnie, one of the pastors here at Substance. I want to thank you for coming out to the warehouse this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. You want to turn to Luke chapter 2. We're in week 3 in our series through Advent. Just touching on a few verses uh, in these four weeks. In uh, Luke chapter 2, we started with uh, verse 1 where Mary and Joseph, we see coming into this moment where they're, they're giving birth to the baby Jesus. They're surrounded. Remember in week one, we talked about how they were surrounded by scandal. Uh, they were coming into this moment in, in poverty. As people that were in poverty, they were, they were also obedient to the call that God had given them uh, to usher in and to give birth to the baby Jesus. And then we got to last week and we saw that there's uh, some new characters coming into the story. We saw the shepherds enter into the story and they were given, um, out of all the people in the world, they were given this message of the good news of the gospel that God saw fit to introduce the news of his son to these really unsuspecting uh, shepherds who were just ordinary guys, just keeping watch over their flock by night. And yet God delivers the message for the world to them first. And we saw um, how they received it and they saw all the, we saw all the events surrounding it and how unusual and how unexpected it was. And what we're going to look at this morning is just how they responded and how Mary responded with the news, with this spectacular event. And that's really the, that's really the main sort of driving point behind this series is that when we say, O Night Divine, well, I don't know, oh, yeah, the, the banner's right here. I'm looking behind me. That's where they usually are. But when we say, O Night Divine, we're talking about this, this night, this crazy, spectacular night, this historical night, maybe the most important night in the history of the world. And what happens as Christians, what happens as people that um, just kind of are in and out of church, um, maybe your whole life, you've you've been somebody that's been connected with Sunday school or you've grown up in a Christian family or maybe you've just somebody who kind of comes in at this time of the year. Either way, this is a story that has become familiar to you and we can just kind of grow dull to it instead of seeing the wonder and, and just the amazement that it is that God provided for us in it. And so that's what we're trying to refresh our minds to and re renew our hearts to as we're making our way through the first part of chapter two. And so we're gonna pick up uh, in verse 15, and this is what it says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, uh, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And we're just going to stop right there for this morning. This is what we're going to see is that the good news of Jesus' birth is met with an interesting response by the shepherds and by Mary that we want to make sure that our lives become a reflection of. Because here's the thing, you've probably heard this, but any situation that arises in our lives, we have the opportunity to either react or we have the opportunity to respond. Maybe some of you have heard that. Um, a reaction is something we do based on kind of our immediate emotion to a circumstance, 
right? We react. Something, something happens, an event transpires, and we just snap, right? A response is something a little bit different. It's something that comes as the result of, of wisdom. It comes as the result of maybe good counsel or maybe some contemplation or conviction to do what is right. A response sometimes has to be quick, but it's done with a type of wisdom that allows us to move in a direction based on the knowledge we have about something that is true, right? Um, I remember seeing my first fireworks show. I don't know how old I was, I was really young. Um, and I was, I, was, I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified um, when I saw it. I felt like the world was ending and I reacted with total fear, right? It was, I don't know, something about all the lights and the fire and the explosions. Call me crazy, but that can be traumatic for a five-year-old, right? Um, but then years later, I went to a fireworks show at Angel Stadium in Southern California and I just sat back and it was unbelievable, right? And I just took in the spectacle and the magic of it all. I was able to respond to it in such a different way because I'd grown to realize that fireworks are not the end of the world, right? They're not there to harm me. They're there to create a light show for me to enjoy. And I would argue that the shepherds, they didn't react as much as they responded to this supernatural announcement that they received. And you think back on things that you reacted to versus responded to, and probably notice that a response is probably your most desired reaction, right? In fact, we're always amazed when someone responds well to something fearful, you know? Um, when they show grace under pressure, or, or they keep their composure when something unexpected happens. You guys have all seen that. Like some crazy thing happens. It can be a good thing or it can be something really tragic. And the person that's dealing with it, they just kind of come in and they respond in a way that shows grace and wisdom and a sense of calm and trust and carefulness. And we always just step back and we're just blown away by that because we think of all the times that we just react crazy to things that happen that are unexpected. So what I want to try to answer today is this, is how do we respond to situations that come to us unexpectedly in the same way that this came unexpectedly to the shepherds and to Mary? Because how we respond to a situation tells people something about who we believe is in control of our lives. So whether we like to admit that or not, and sometimes it's hard to admit that, the way we respond to things tells us and other people something about who we believe is ultimately in control of our lives. So how do you continue to respond to the truth and the good news of the gospel in your life? How do you continue to respond to that, right? So we're going to unpack three responses by both the shepherds and Mary. And the first thing that we see is that the shepherds responded by seeking the truth. They sought the truth. You see there in 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So the, the shepherds go to Bethlehem. They take off with a sense of urgency and wonder. They say, let us go. Let us see. And really, the Christian faith is, is a mixture of those two things, right? It's a mixture of urgency and wonder. We are constantly seeing 
and going and seeing and going. You know, like I was told about Jesus. I was changed by Jesus. Now I'm going to seek him with my life and then go and be a light with the new life that I have been given. And what's so interesting about this is that the shepherds could have responded in like 200 different ways, right? They could have sat back. They could have just basked in this crazy spectacle that had just happened around them. The angels, the singing, the lights, like the, the whole shebang, right? But it, isn't it so curious that they didn't do that? They didn't do that. They didn't spend the next few hours just, you know, uploading images onto Facebook and Instagram, right? They, they didn't capture it like that. They made known what the Lord had made known to them, and we would do so well not to miss that, not to miss that subtle point that they made known what the Lord had made known to them. They didn't try to find alternative reasons to explain this phenomenon that they had just seen, but they attribute it to the Lord. And maybe that's hard for you. Maybe that's hard for you when things beyond your control occur in your life. You try to seek alternative explanations. But these shepherds' hearts had been changed by the Lord to do nothing but seek the Lord. Who, by the way, we are told by the Lord himself in the Gospels that he is the way, that he is the truth, that he is the life. And what that means is that when we seek Jesus like the shepherds did, we are going to find those other things that we are, that we are so prone to kind of falling back and searching for first, right? It might be an uncomfortable place for you to seek him the way the shepherds sought him, to go after Jesus, to say, hey, I might even know the truth. I may have been saved by the truth, but I'm going to continue to pursue Jesus. I'm going to continue to seek him. That may be an uncomfortable place for you. You might be afraid of what you will continue to find out. When the shepherds sought the Lord, they found the Lord. But what they found was likely not what they expected. The angel had said very specifically that the Savior was in a manger. And, well, what, what would you do with that? What would you do with that had you just uh, witnessed the spectacle that you had just witnessed, right? It's worth thinking about that. What, what, would have, what would have been coming into your mind and in your heart when you saw this great and glorious spectacle and then you roll in, you skid into Bethlehem on your scooter? I don't know what they, I don't know what they used back then, Right? And you see this child in a manger with two exhausted parents. I don't know what you would be expecting. I'm imagining that they were not expecting that at all. And of course, we see in a minute what exactly they did. But what do you do when your preconceived notions of Jesus and Christianity are kind of flipped on their head? Do you assume that everything you learned about Christianity up to this point in your life has been spot on, you know? Think about something you thought you knew a lot about in your life and then found out how much either you didn't know or how much more there was to know. I mean, I don't have the time to go through the, it's literally everything in my life. Just when I think, oh man, I feel like I'm an expert at this, 
Somebody comes along or some piece of news comes along or information that makes me think, oh, you literally know nothing about this, right? That's every time I listen to a Tim Keller sermon, basically. Um, Whatever the shepherds had thought about the coming of the Messiah, this was surely not it. And by the way, that knowledge told them something about themselves too. And it's this, that seeking Jesus doesn't end the minute we're saved by Jesus. Right? Does that make sense? We still seek after Jesus. I was, I was introduced to Jesus, to Christianity in the 70s and the 80s. And I was saved uh, in this, this evangelical movement of churches called, Cal- called Calvary Chapel. Maybe some of you have heard of Calvary Chapels. They're all over, all over the nation, all over the world. Um, I-, I learned some amazing foundational biblical truths by being saved in the Calvary Chapel movement. Um, but they missed some things too. They missed some things. Um, they overemphasized certain doctrines um, over others. And they-, they took maybe a hard steer into some things that I, I, I still think are, were kind of unhelpful. But to be honest, God used those things to help me where I'm at today. And listen to this, as I continued to seek Jesus, he brought me into other churches that helped shape and reshape my theology, right? This is one of the churches he brought me to um, that has helped reshape and shape my theology. The theme in all of this is that We keep seeking Jesus. By the way, every time you engage here at Substance on Sunday or in a community group or in a growth group or part of the U Collective, you are seeking Jesus. You are being formed by his truth to live as a redeemed image bearer of God that looks more like Jesus. It's not that different to what the shepherds did when they said, let us go and see. And by the way, even in those seasons where you feel like, man, I am not seeking Jesus at all, he has this uncanny way of pulling you back in and reshaping your theology all over again, right? The shepherds eagerly sought out the truth. And then when they found the truth, here's our second point, they shared it. They shared the truth. The, the shepherds are like the, the first New Testament evangelists in some sense. They made known the saying that had been told them. By the way, they, they didn't feel the need to make anything up. They didn't feel the need to craft a more exciting narrative or work out some strategy for how to share the news. Look what it says. It says, they made known the saying told to them concerning the child. Hey guys, a savior was born. Some angels just told us, oh, and by the way, here he is, right? In their cultural moment, people were waiting for the Messiah, right? So for them to share that we found the Messiah, that would have, like, that would have sparked something in people's minds in that particular culture. Our, our cultural moment's a little bit different, right? It requires us to answer questions sometimes that are a little bit different, like, well, what do you mean when you say the word Savior exactly? Or whose truth are you talking about when you say the word truth? But here's my point is that the heart of how Christians share the gospel has really never changed. We just say what's already been said. We just say what we have seen. 
When I preach, I'm just saying what's been said. There's a precedent for how we live out the Christian faith and how we share the Christian faith, which is just tell people about the Jesus that has made himself known to you. I think we complicate it. I think we get fuzzy about it. I think we are fearful because people are going to ask us things that we may not have the answer for. And in fact, it's when we attempt to say something beyond what is said that truth can become obscured. And to be honest, might be what makes many of us so afraid when it comes time to share the truth about Jesus. Someone asks us about Jesus and it's like, oh no, we kind of pull back, right? We start talking about politics. We start getting angry about politics. Well, that's not what they asked you. Or we start talking about the founding fathers. Great. Not what they asked you. We start giving our opinion on the government, the president. We start talking about going to church. Good. But is that what they asked you? We feel like we need to be able to answer all the hard questions or find a way to walk around the question that's actually being asked. Why? Because it's easier. It's easier for us to do that. And by the way, there's a time and a place for hard questions, right? I want substance to be a safe place to ask all the questions. Like there's literally nothing you can come up after a service or during the week and ask me and I'm gonna go, there's no way I'm answering that question. I'm probably gonna say, well, I think I, I, think we can, I, think I have something for that. Um, if I don't, let me, let me research that for a minute and let's drink a cup of coffee together and chat about it because I want to hear what you're thinking about it. I want to hear your tradition. I want to hear your, your story with this question. In fact, uh, last Sunday, I met with uh, the You Collective and we spent about an hour and a half just answering some really hard questions that, that stepped into all kinds of just really awkward areas, right? And only awkward because sometimes the answers aren't so clear. And these are things that we are working out and figuring out. But at the same time, as we're working, as we're figuring out those answers, we just continue to seek Jesus in that. That helps clear the air in our hearts for some things that we're like, man, I don't really know. And I think what's hard for us as the church is that we, we are just so prone to wanting to give simple answers to complex questions. And we want to be we want to be cautioned against doing that. As we pursue Jesus, as we seek Jesus, as we share the truth about Jesus and how he's made himself known into our lives, somehow, as we make that a focus and an emphasis, while at the same time, not trying to back out of the harder questions, somehow it makes more sense as we try to answer the harder questions, right? We acknowledge that there are many unanswered questions that still exist in our life because sharing the good news about Jesus is an act of humility. It's not saying that you have all the answers. It's saying that you know the one answer that is going to make sense of all the unanswered things, just maybe not in this lifetime. But it's there. It's going to happen. It's what we look forward to. And by the way, the goal is not to answer every good question. The goal is to speak of the goodness of Jesus, right? Their questions, their objections are important. But that's not really the issue. Do you know that? When, you are, when God puts you in, in, with a person 
that is battling all kinds of issues, you, you realize those issues aren't really the issue. That's not the issue. The issue is this, and will always be this, is do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Man, those issues, we'll get to the issues. But let's not cart before the horse on the issue. Let's talk about Jesus Christ. The shepherds sought the truth. They shared the truth. And we want to do the same. We want to give people the opportunity to wonder about this Jesus that is spoken of, that we speak of. Let them see our life, that he is different from what they have always heard, maybe. We want them to discover whether their preconceived notions about him have been wrong. They likely have, right? Tim Keller once said this. He said, listen, he said, describe the God you've rejected. Describe the God you don't believe in. Maybe I don't believe in that God either. There's so much of that. When we are seeking the truth and we are sharing the truth with people because they have a story which has affected and changed what they believe about the truth or don't believe about it. The shepherds just made known what had been told to them. There were a lot of questions that would have not been able to be answered. But notice that's not, not mentioned. In fact, even when we go to the, the letter that Peter wrote to the church, listen to what Peter says about this. He says, look, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Do you notice what he says there? Just, just be prepared to, to talk to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope. Why are you hopeful? Why are you hopeful? Well, because of the vote that happened with the, the, the House last week, that is not the hope that you have. Well, I, I have a hope because these laws are beginning to change and everything's kind of coming back around to where we want them. Not the hope. Give them a reason for the hope. Why should you, of all the people in the world, have any hope? Why should you have any hope? And then Peter goes on. So as you're telling them the hope that lies within you, which is not a thing, but a person, Peter says, do it with gentleness and respect. Have a good conscience so that when you're slandered, in other words, when they hear your answer and they go, you've lost your mind. He says, those who revile your good behavior in Christ, they may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. It helps us so much when we see the, the simple way that the way the shepherds are sharing the truth is described to us. And we look at our own lives and we say, how are we responding? Are we seeking the truth in such a way that people are surrounded by us and we can then share it in such a way that just points to Jesus while still acknowledging objections and questions and all of those things? It's not easy. And we grow in our ability to do that. We grow in our humility for receiving people 
that are battling with all kinds of different things. Why? Because we are people who are battling all kinds of different things. You seek the Lord, not the one time that you were saved, but through your life. And that's the way that the Holy Spirit sanctifies you. And then the third thing we see is that while the shepherds sought the truth and shared the truth, we see that Mary savored the truth. We see that Mary savored the truth. It's been a while since we've heard from Mary. And if you read the other Gospels, you hear a little bit more from her. She's been a little quiet until we get to the end of verse 21 and we're given insight into the kind of heart Mary had and really the kind that we want to pray that God cultivates and creates in us. It says Mary treasured all these things. She treasured all the strange and beautiful and spectacular events that were happening around her. She was just taking it all in. She was reflecting on it. She was pondering it. She was letting her heart become shaped and formed by it. Mary had believed the word that was given to her by the angel. She'd obeyed his voice. She'd given birth to Jesus. And she was now getting a firsthand view of all the miraculous events unfolding around her. She was not crazy after all. And you can only imagine what was going through her mind. She had truly become the mother of Jesus, who is the Savior of the world. And yet we see that she let that truth sink deep into her soul by savoring it, by treasuring it in her heart. Have you ever received a really nice gift or received something that you spent a lot of money on, you know, from Amazon? Um, It's usually reflected in the packaging that it comes in, right? The nicer the, the item, the nicer the gift, usually comes in packaging that reflects the quality of the gift. The packaging is important in that way because it, it indicates there's something valuable inside the box. But how many times, this happened to me a few times, how many times have you ordered something off Amazon and it just comes to, it comes to your doorstep just falling apart, comes in really shoddy packaging, you know? Um, no padding, no bubble wrap, like somebody just threw it in the box, threw it on the FedEx truck, you know? In a similar way, our hearts need to guard the good deposit, as Paul told Timothy, that has been given to us with the gospel. We need to, we need to make sure that we are treasuring the gift of Christ like Mary. We need to make sure other elements don't come in to spoil or tarnish it. It's why James, the brother of Jesus, he said, look, what, what is, when we talk about this Christianity thing, when we talk about religion, he said, what are we actually talking about? What kind of hearts are we talking about that need to characterize this religion? He said, well, it's, it's it, religion that's pure and, and that's undefiled before God is this. He says it's to, it's to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. He, he didn't mean that's the only thing it means. He was trying to express what the heart of somebody who's been changed and shaped by Jesus looks like. And he says this, and also to keep oneself unstained from the world. And we don't have time to get in and unpack what it means to be unstained by the world because it certainly doesn't mean removing ourselves from the world. But there's a way to be in the world and to remain unstained by the world, and we do that by doing what Mary did, which is focusing on the person of Jesus Christ and treasuring 
treasuring him. We're told by Jesus uh, in some parables that he, he wrote, the parable of the hidden treasure in the pearl in Matthew 13. He said this to kind of give us a, just sort of a, a sense of the value of Jesus. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. Then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything, and he, ha- everything he had to, to buy it. So to Mary, this Jesus that she'd given birth to and that she was treasuring had become everything to her. She savored Jesus. She savored the truth that she had the privilege of delivering to the world. And we should just pray that God would give us hearts like Mary's that we would have a a greater and a deeper understanding of just what has been given to us so that it grows in beauty and so that it grows in depth. Melissa will take me out to where she plants our vegetable garden uh, during the the time when all this stuff is growing and it's going crazy and things are just, you know, growing. and she'll take me out to where all this is happening, and, and she'll do this a lot, you know. And it's, it's never not annoying, but she'll say, hey, um, I know you're taking a nap right now, but wake up. I want to uh, take you out to the garden. And I actually love it. It's awesome. It's charming. And, um, and she will say, look at how everything is growing. She'll say, look at what's starting to come in. Um, and she's so excited about it because she's been caring for it. She's been cultivating it. And she has now something beautiful and full of life, teeming with life, to show me because that is is happening. And that's what we see with Mary. That was the kind of heart that Mary, Mary had. And so when we look at the response of Mary, we look at the response of the shepherds, we see that this can be and should be our response when we get caught up in the very glory of Christ, when we seek and share and savor his truth. Because look, a a Christian is not someone who is just learning more about Jesus. They are someone who is loving Jesus more. And that love forms them into people who become more like the Jesus they love, right? So how do you respond? Let's circle back to the original question. How do you respond? to Jesus with your life, remembering that it's not a one-time response. Like the shepherds, we are constantly responding to the truth of the gospel in some way. Our actions give evidence to it. They give evidence to whether we are seeking the truth, whether we are sharing it, being a reflection of it, whether we are savoring it. What's great and what's encouraging is that the Lord does the work in us that we respond to. It's all an act of grace. Listen to what Paul said about this. He said in Corinthians, but we have this treasure in jars of clay, kind of speaking about how, who we are and how we receive this. He said, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. For what we proclaim, what we share is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as Your servants, for Jesus' sake, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, 
has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's a super Christmassy passage by Paul right there. What will you do with the truth that you've been given? And look at what you've been given. Look at what we've been given in a world that is desperately seeking truth. The truth has found you. And Christmas comes to remind us of this every year. This is why communion is so important for the church. It's why it's so important. It's our obedient response to Jesus, who has entered the darkness of our life and gave us the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's why we eat the bread. That's why we drink the cup. That's why we do it together as a church. This is one of the ways we affirm that the surpassing power of the gospel belongs to God and that he has given it to us to seek, to share, and to savor. Jesus said, do it in remembrance of me. Remember what I did. Remember where all this is leading. So the Lord, in his grace, he gave us something tangible for us to remember where our hope and strength in life comes from, which is the cross where he died, the tomb where he was resurrected, and the heavens where he ascended. And he is now up there next to God the Father, interceding for us, praying for us, strengthening us through the work of the Spirit in our hearts. All of this is possible because of that night 2,000 plus years ago. We're going to take communion, and I'm going to pray. And as I pray, uh, ushers are going to come up, two stations in the front, one in the back. Communion is for those who have repented of their sins and put their trust in Jesus for salvation. Um, If that is not you, we love you, um, and Jesus loves you. And we want you to come into a relationship with Jesus so that you can continue to seek him and share him and savor him and have that be the response of your life to him. But if that hasn't happened yet, um, we just wanna say, that's okay, we're glad you're here. We would also ask you to hang back, not take communion. Um, Nobody's gonna single you out, nobody's gonna look at you or or think anything strange. Um, But I'm gonna take a minute right now and I'm going to pray um, that the Lord Uh, would enter your life and enter your heart and draw you to him so that you can take communion, so that you can be nourished and strengthened by the work of Jesus in your life. And if you are somebody who feels all knotted up inside from hearing a sermon like this, there's so much grace and mercy for you. Whatever your story is, wherever you're hung up, Right now, we're all hung up with something. There's something off and not right about all of us today because we're human beings and we have a flesh that is warring against our spirit. And so we have the Lord that comes to us, reminds us of his work for us so that when we take communion, it's not saving us, but it's reminding us that we are a saved people and we don't walk out of these doors without hope. And it's the same hope that was described for us today. So would you bow your heads with me? I just want to take a minute, pray for us. Lord, we thank you for these words in Luke. And we thank you that 
Lord, this good news that was given to the shepherds and to Mary was news given to the world, and we have received this news. Today, we have heard the gospel again. And Lord, whether the gospel has changed our hearts or has not yet infiltrated our hearts and changed us and saved us, Lord, you are the one that has to do that work, and I pray that you would do that work for those who have not come into a relationship with you that will be the way that their souls are saved, the way that they come into being known by you and, and loved by you so that they can love you and know you. Lord, would you do that work in them? Would you convict by your spirit our hearts? Lord, for those of us who do know you and of which this story and these passages have grown just very dull to us, Lord, would you renew our hearts and refresh our minds to receive this good news again that you've given us. A savior was born and his name is Christ the Lord. Lord, would you allow us to take one second here and examine our lives? And Lord, surface those things that we need to repent of. Surface those relationships that we need to seek out so that we can pursue reconciliation. Lord, would you surface those sins that are nagging at us that we are just having such a hard time with? Would you remind us that with you there's grace and mercy? You're helping us. Lord, fill us with hope as we receive your broken body and your shed blood, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.